Let's grab our Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to spend a few more moments this afternoon on this subject matter of sanctification. And uh, last uh, Sunday we spent the afternoon service looking at this matter of sanctification that once we are saved, and we looked at how the uh, religion and how the world has things upside down, they say to try to clean yourself up, and then maybe God will love you more and be able to accept you. But yet, as we look into the Bible... We know that God loves us while we're yet sinners, but yet He loves us so much that He loves us as we're sinners, but He doesn't leave us that way. And so He continually works in our hearts and lives, and so we understand that, and it simply comes from obedience to the Word of God. I want to take it a few steps further. Um, This afternoon, 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to read the first four verses. Look what he says here. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, now let me say this, when he says furthermore, it's because of a principle um, that has already been given, okay? And so the previous chapter, um, starting in verse number 12, okay, chapter 3 and verse 12, we read the furthermore, but let's come back and say, see why he's saying furthermore. Verse 12 says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Furthermore, because he's looking to establish our hearts in holiness that we can be blamable when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. Now listen, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. If you want it any plainer than this, what's the will of God for my life? This is the will of God. Even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, as we look at these verses of Scripture, I do believe this. I believe the Lord puts things very plain. He desires for his children to live a sanctified and holy life. I made mention this morning, there is nowhere in the Bible or in our lives, that God is going to excuse sin. He's not going to look at us at the judgment seat of Christ when we are judged for the deeds that we've done in our bodies. He's not going to look at us and say, Oh, you're not going to lose reward there because I understand. It's not going to take place. God does not condone sin. It is sin that held Christ on the cross. It is His love for us and the sin that He became for each and every one of us which ought to further 
our ultimate disgust for sin in our lives. How can we enjoy sin? Specifically, when he's speaking of it here, and we won't get into this whole subject matter, how can we, speaking about fornication, even our sanctification, that we possess our our bodies not in fornication. That's actually um, physical, sexual matters outside of marriage. That it ought not to be dealing with sanctification. And he's saying this, he said, I'm writing these things to you so that you can understand what we've already told you, how you ought to walk and to please God with our lives. Now, I could ask this question here, and it ought to be every hand that would go up, so I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if we're a child of God, Shouldn't it be that we want our lives to please Him? Well, guess what? When we are walking in sin and out of the will of God, God's not pleased with that. That's not how we're supposed to live. Let me read this definition to you. This is from Noah Webster's dictionary back in the early 1800s. When you look up the word sanctification... And uh, he was brought back to my mind. It was a, a pastor from Pennsylvania that was getting on, and I noticed on Twitter this week, it's like all of a sudden he realized he knew who Noah Webster was, and he came across his cousin Daniel Webster. And I, I, he must have put out 20 different quotes on that one day that Daniel Webster made. And so finally I, I responded to him, and I said, why don't you just come up and see his home state? And I said, come see his statue down here at the Capitol. He said, I might just have to take you up on that. But Noah Webster, don't mistake him for Daniel Webster, Noah Webster said this, if you look up sanctification, now listen carefully. Sanctification, the act of making holy. Okay? In an evangelical sense, now listen to this, the act of God's grace by which the affections of men are purified or alienated from sin and the world and exalted to a supreme love to God. Boy, what a definition of sanctification. Okay? Now I want us to start with this because where we go wrong on this matter of sanctification, which, may I remind us, is a separation from the world and a separation to God. But so many times we view sanctification as a work that we are able to do. Well, I want to, and and listen, the desire and the motive may be right. We want this out of our lives But listen, it's not a matter of us becoming holy just because we want to and we think we can, in the power of the flesh, be able to say no to all these things. One of the very first phrases here, it says it's the act of God's grace. Do you know that it's God's grace that works in us to be able to sanctify us? So that this work of sanctification, the affections of men are purified or alienated from sin and the world and exalted to a supreme love of God. You see, sanctification is not just one-sided. Sanctification is separate from these things. And yes, we ought to be separated from the world. But it's not just separating from all of those things, but it is actually a supreme love to God. 
And that ought to be our motive and desire behind all of this. Now, what he's explaining to us as Paul is writing to the saints here at Thessalonica, he starts, and we read it back here in verse number 12, we ought to increase and abound in love one toward another. And may I say this, the more sanctified, the more like Christ that we become, the more we love the brethren. Okay, we'll get into that more on Thursdays as we're getting into knowing Christ. And then he wants us to increase that to the end. What's the end? And I don't I don't necessarily like this term, but the end game, the end result of all of this is so that when we see Christ, guess what? We are holy and blameless before the Lord. Now, the only way that's going to happen is if sin is out of our lives and holiness is in our lives. We have so often in Christian churches today done away with the doctrine of sanctification because too many times we say, well, to be sanctified, that's a work of the flesh for salvation. No, it's not. Sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit of God in us because of salvation. Not for salvation, it's because of salvation. Listen, if God's not doing a work in our hearts and lives to separate us from the world, to draw us closer to the Lord, there's something wrong in our lives. When he said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And there ought to be a process in our lives in which we are separated from the world. You ought not to be allowing more sinful things into your life all of a sudden because you think you have the liberty to be able to do so. In fact, we ought to be looking at it the other direction and saying, okay, what can be removed from my life and by God's grace to be able to cause me to look and act more like Christ? This is the will of God. You say, well, I don't know if it's the will of God for me to be sanctified. Well, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, okay? Now, he does deal with physical purity here in this passage of Scripture, now, I want to look at a few other passages of Scripture as we dig into this a little bit more. But he's desiring, and let me remind us of this, back in verse number 12 of chapter 3, we read this, increase and abound. Okay? But then we get down to chapter 4 and verse number 1. He says at the end of it, so ye would abound more and more. Can I say God's desire is not for us to back up on our sanctification? We ought not to look at it and say, well, I, I used to have this level of sanctification, but I've matured since then and I could back off from that. Why? We ought to be abounding more and more, not backing up and less and less. We ought to be saying, Lord, what else can I continue to abound? Well, I just found out some of those things. It's not necessary for my sanctification. Well, if God's speaking on certain things, then listen, move on with it. Allow God to be able to work and separate us. Look what the ultimate goal is. Turn over with me to Romans chapter number 8. 
Romans chapter number 8. This may shock some of us on what the end result is that God is looking for in our lives. We love to go to verse number 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. Don't get nervous about that word predestinate, okay? you got to look at what He predestinated right there and who He's talking to. He's talking to Christians here, okay? And what is predestinated? He's predestinate um, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Do you understand the entire purpose of sanctification is not to puff us up with pride? The purpose of sanctification is not for me to look at someone else and say, well, I'm living a holier life than you are. It's not for us to be able to look and say, well, I don't do that, and so that makes me more righteous than you. That's not the purpose of sanctification. I've met those people that say stuff like that. I believe the Bible calls them Pharisees. I believe the Bible calls them hypocrites. Because they they may have the, the form of godliness on the outside, but they're denying the power on the inside. It is the Lord that is desiring. The end result is not to get me better than you. And that's not what I'm doing. I'm, I don't do anything. Listen, there are certain levels of sanctification God's brought in my life that it doesn't put me higher or lower than you, but it's what God's trying to do in my life because the end result is we are to be conformed to the image of His Son. You say, well, are there some things that you don't do because they're sin? It's not necessarily because it's sin, but I do believe there are some things that are worldly. And they cause me to look and act and talk and, and uh, be conformed to the image of this world that there's no difference that's being made. And so the, the end result of sanctification, of our passions and our desires being alienated from sin and from this world is for us to have the supreme love for God and to be conformed to the image of His Son. Here, here's a simple question. What is it in our lives that people could look at and say, but that doesn't look like Christ? Well, but God knows the heart. Boy, that's a verse of Scripture that's been taken completely out of context back in 1 Samuel. Well, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. That's a true statement. But what he's trying to remind us of there is that man looketh on the outward appearance. <laughs> is that there is an appearance on the outside and man is looking at that and what God is saying is that's not all that matters. But it does matter. And when the world looks at us as God's children, do they see and know that there's something different about us? But do we watch the same things on television that the world watches? Do we listen to the same music that the world listens to? Do we use the same 
terminology that you know there, there used to be a time and I, I still pick it up every once in a while that people actually change their language because the preacher's around oh I shouldn't say that they'll catch themselves because the preacher's there well and rightfully so but more than that it ought not to be because the preacher's around it ought to be especially Christians ought not to talk the same way as the world we ought to look the same way. We ought not to listen to the same things or watch the same things. There ought to be a distinct difference. You say, well, are those things sinful? Hey, there's some sinful things that people partake in that ought not to be. Well, it's just the way of the world. No. We ought not to give any place to the devil. We've gotten to the point now, well, it only has 20 swear words in it. They only cuss at God so many times during this and, and I, I can at least tolerate that really it ought to grieve us some of us have more respect for how someone would talk about our mother than the way they would talk about our Jesus I make it a point and this is just me if I hear someone take the Lord's name and, and uh, try to put other names after it and make it his last name or something and they call out the name of Jesus I said hey that's who I work for I know him. Boy, it's amazing when they start looking at that point. When you start realizing, hey, that's my Jesus. That's my Savior. He saved my soul. You say, Pastor, I don't know if, I don't know if I'd have the, the, the guts to, and the boldness to be able to say something like that. You would if it was your wife they were talking about. Or you ought to anyway. <laughs> you ought to. And I'm thinking, Lord, would you help us? We need to be conformed to the image of His Son. You say, how does this happen? Turn back with me if you were in Romans chapter 8. Let's just spend a little bit of time in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We'll just spend a little bit of time here. We'll pick it up next week. But Romans chapter number 6. We need to look at things, and, and there's not always going to be, and can I help you with this? There's not always going to be a thou shalt or thou shalt not in the word of God for things that we look at. But can I say this? I, I want everything in my life to be based upon, okay, is there a principle in the word of God? There may not be a precept that it's just nailed down in black and white or red if the Lord said it, if we had a red letter edition. But there are some principles as we look at in the scripture that saying, hey, there's certain things I don't do with my body because the Bible says that my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Okay. And so there's certain places I don't go because the Bible says I'm going to abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, you may not have this. This is what God is doing for me. To the best of my ability, if I walk into a restaurant, I don't, I don't sit inside the bar area at a restaurant. Now, listen, if you do, that, that's completely up to you. You know why? Because as sure as I do, someone's going to walk in and they're going to say, I saw a pastor in the bar. Okay? There, there's just certain, certain places that I, I don't walk into, and so I, I'm going to watch that testimony. Well, I've got liberty to do all that. Okay. You think you may? I'm trying to ask God to work on my sanctification, be able to get me more like Christ. Okay? And so we look at this. How does this take place in our lives, this process? Okay? Look at Romans chapter number 6 with me. Okay, verse number 9. We'll just start here, and we could, we could spend the next months just taking this. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Okay, 
So let me pause. We're just going to take this slow. Okay? Now, Christ died for us, didn't he? He didn't just die for us. He was buried, and guess what? He rose again. Can I remind us that Jesus is never going to have to die again um, for the sins of the world? Someone made a mention of it this week. We were talking about salvation, and it was so simple. Someone looked at me as a new convert, and they said, you know, we only have to get saved one time. Jesus died one time for our sins, and he doesn't have to die over and over and over again. And I said, it, it's that simple, isn't it? I said, it's really that simple as we're looking at the Scriptures. So we understand that Jesus died for us, okay? Now, verse 9, death hath no more dominion over him. If we were to take the time and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, the statement is there, O death, where is thy sting? Okay? There is no more dominion of death over Jesus. He conquered, as we say it, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Okay? He's the victor. And through him we are more than conquerors. Now look at verse number 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. Okay? But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Okay? So he died one time, died unto sin once. Sin had dominion one time over the Lord. He took all of our sin into his body. He became sin from us, for us, and then he gave up the ghost. He became sin one time. Likewise, just as Jesus is dead to sin, he hath dominion over that, he now liveth unto God. Okay? Verse number 11. Likewise. You know what the word likewise means? The same way. Okay? Jesus died to sin, but now he's living unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin. How much simpler can we get that? Just as Jesus died for us once. He rose from the dead. He was dead to sin. And he's alive unto God in the same way. We ought to reckon. Okay? Everybody says Paul's from the south because he uses words like that. Okay? Well, I reckon. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. If Christ has saved our souls, then sin no longer has dominion over us. Okay? As we read down through here, we begin to see words like yield, neither let it reign, R-E-I-G-N, okay, which means to have dominion, we don't have to. We do not have to be the servant or the slave to sin. We don't have to be. Okay? You know why? Because the same way Jesus died and then rose again unto, and live in a life unto God, we are dead to sin and we can live unto God. Our life can be victorious. Okay? 
Likewise, reckon you, you also yourselves to be dead indeed. And I love the word indeed. I won't get into all of that. You know, that's what the disciples said in Luke chapter 24. After they saw Jesus, they came back and told the disciples, the other disciples, and they made this statement. They said, the Lord is risen indeed. Study that word indeed. It means of a truth, of a surety. Okay, of a surety. As a, as a southerner would say it, sure enough. <laughs> and uh, reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but look at this, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're dead to sin, alive to God. So listen, you believe that if someone was risen from the dead that they might live a little bit differently? Okay, let me ask you if, if you had this chance. And uh, so maybe, and I'll, I'll just pick something, I don't know, it's hard to pick because someone might get offended as I look at, at any disease. If, if something caused a disease in our lives, okay, um, I'll go back and use my dad. My dad, several times a month, um, his vice that he had, he wasn't a smoker, he wasn't a drinker or anything like this, but he loved having a Pepsi and a honey bun. I'm talking we'd get to church early and he'd send my brother or sister back out to the corner store and say, go get me a Pepsi and a honey bun. And it wasn't them little tiny honey buns. I mean, we're talking the hostess one. Okay, it's about that big around. They're good, aren't they? They are. They're, they're really good. Pepsi and a honey bun, not a diet Pepsi. It was a Pepsi and a honey bun. Okay? Well, later on in life, he had this thing called diabetes. You ever, you ever wonder? And so, and I will say this, I've tried to learn something from that. I've tried to, I, I don't drink, that's why I drink Coke. I, Pepsi, my dad, okay? And so, Pepsi and a honey bun, that was my dad. He absolutely loved it. Now, let me ask you something. If that would have been, and I, I don't think it, it mainly was, but if that would have been the number one cause of his death, okay? But then he was able to be raised from the dead. Do you think that he actually might make some changes to his diet if that was the cause of his death? Okay, so here's the thing. The Bible says that we're dead to sin, but we're alive in God. So don't you think that if we're dead to sin and alive in God, alive to God, alive in God, alive for God, that we ought to live our life a little bit different than maybe what we were before we were dead to sin? That when God raised us spiritually that there ought to be some differences in our lives. Hey, we, we chuckle at songs like this, but the places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. The friends I used to have, I don't have them anymore. You know why? There's been a great, great change, change since I've been born. Let's sing it together. You say great, you say change. I'm just kidding. Get in junior church and start singing it. There's been a great change since I've been born again. I, there's nothing greater than being dead to sin. Now we're alive unto God. And so what God does is He has given us, it was mentioned in Sunday school today, we are indwelt by one-third of the Trinity. We have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us to be able to say, mm-mm, Ought not to be doing that. Why? That's not like Christ. You remember years ago, everybody started running around with them bracelets, WWJD. What did that stand for? What would Jesus do? Can I say this? Long before someone had a bracelet, and they made millions of dollars off them bracelets, 
if they just realize there's a sweet Holy Spirit of God living inside of us saying, Mm-mm, what would Jesus do right now? Exactly, exactly, he'd say no. What would Jesus do? We're dead unto sin, alive unto God. Now, verse number 12. Let not sin therefore. The word therefore, just like as for as much, goes back to a previous thought. Let not sin therefore, because we are dead to sin, because we're alive unto God, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, okay? We are mere mortals, okay? We understand that. We have flesh. We are going to die one day, but the scriptures are saying, because you're dead to sin, sin should not be telling you what to do. So, can I say this a little over three years ago, okay? Um, We buried my father. His body is laying in a graveyard up in Bowdoin, Maine. Can I say this? I haven't obeyed his command one time since he died. I haven't gone to him and said, Dad, what should I do? He's never spoken to me to tell me what to do. I still have principles and practices in my life, yes, that he instilled for years gone past. But you know something? When someone's dead, they don't tell us what to do anymore. And what the Bible is saying here and encouraging us in this matter of sanctification, if sanctification is purifying and alienating our passions and our lust from the sin of this world to a supreme love of God, then we ought to quit listening to sin in our lives. We would say, no, you don't have dominion over me. I am dead to sin So therefore, you're not my boss. You ever had someone in a job place, in a place of employment that would come up and boy, they just wanted to run your schedule. But they had no authority to do so whatsoever. And sometimes you just got to look at them and say, excuse me, I don't answer to you. You don't sign my paychecks. You're not my boss. You haven't hired me. I answer to so-and-so. Why not start saying that in our lives? Of saying, excuse me, sin. You don't have dominion over me. You are not my boss. You do not reign in my life. And so when you say to do this, I'm saying no. Let not sin. Now you understand that word let is actually a permissive word. That means you have to give permission for it. If you let something, I'm not talking the old let which means to rent. I'm still riding all over West Africa and they still have rooms to let. Some of y'all just went back about 50 years in a song in your head, didn't you? They had it all over. I'm like, what in the world? Rooms to let. And I actually had to some, ask someone a little more aged than I was and say, what in the world does that mean? And they said, well, it's to rent. And I said, okay, now I understood that. But permission, let not therefore sin. We ought not to be yielding to that, that ye should obey. Listen, verse 12, that ye should obey it. 
in the lusts thereof. Now we'll pick up verse number 13 next week, but it's the permission that we have, listen, on who we are going to obey or disobey in our lives. It is either living and allowing sin to be on the throne of our hearts, or it is allowing God to be able to reign in our hearts. There is no splitting the throne. There is no straddling the fence with it. You are either letting sin reign, and you're obeying that, or you're dead to sin, and you're living for God. And can I say this? It can go back and forth a hundred times a day. Hundred times a day. Man, I'm, I'm doing great. Boy, and then something happens and we let sin reign. And we're like, oh man, I got to get out of this, man. I got to put God back on the throne. So 10 minutes later, boy, we're back on. Boy, we're living good. Boy, and someone says something. And we're like, man, we're right back into it. Hey, listen, it's, it's our permission on what we do. Do we allow sin to be able to reign or do we allow ourselves to be able to live unto God and allow God to be able to sanctify us. And listen, every time we say no to sin, guess what? We're actually becoming a little bit more like Christ. A little bit more like Christ. And we be conformed. Now listen, I'll just close with this. When he said that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, guess what? That means it is going to happen. One way or another, guess what? It's going to happen. Now, it's either going to happen down here, and we can become more like Christ on a regular basis, or guess what? It will happen on the way up. <laughs> because we are going to change. We're not going to enter heaven with a sinful nature. He will be making us like Christ, and we'll be conformed to His image. But it's the choice. And haven't you found this? It's a whole lot easier to be able to say yes to that which is right instead of fighting against it, and then God has to force it. It's a whole lot easier to be able to yield. We're going to get into that definition um, this next week about yielding. Because, listen, the choice is yours. I can go all the way back into the Old Testament where God laid it out before the nation of Israel and he said, choose life or death, good or evil. He had Joshua lay it out, choose you this day whom you serve. But you've got to make a choice. Every day we make a choice. Are we yielding to sin or are we yielding to the Spirit? Every day we lay that out. Sanctification is saying I want to become more like Christ and say, God, would you work in my heart and life? And then when God puts his finger on something, hey, don't kick against it. When God puts his finger on it and we've been saying, God, would you make me more like you? And then God puts his finger on something. We say, oh, no, God, that's not what I was meaning. I mean, I, I was meaning over here in this area when God's saying, yeah, you didn't even realize this area, did you? Yielding. We'll get into that. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. So when sin creeps up and gets on your shoulder this week, just look at it and say, you're dead to me. And I'm dead to you. And I get to live for God. You can live victorious. We don't have to yield to temptation. I ought to preach a message on that at some point. We don't have to yield to it. God can sanctify us. Isn't that a blessing? Let's pray together. Father, we sure do love you. Lord, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, the, the work of sanctification. Lord, we know it's, it's a long process. 
Lord, the more honest that we become before you, the more work we realize you need to do on us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, would allow you to work in our hearts and lives. And Lord, when you put your finger on something that it just doesn't look like Christ, Lord, I just pray that would allow you to do that work and to remove it out, that, Lord, we may draw closer to you and look more like you. So, Lord, continue that work in our hearts and lives now. In Jesus' name, amen.